Okay. Has anybody ever heard of somebody being in a fugue state? Have ever heard that word? I don't think I had until this week. Let me explain to you what a fugue state is. It's a, it's a dissociative disorder. It's actually called dissociative fugue now. It used to be called fugue state or psychogenic fugue. You're like, what in the world? <clears throat> it is a rare psychiatric disorder characterized by reversible amnesia for personal identity, including the memories, personality, and other identifying characteristics of individuality. So, okay, you can come clean this morning. It's what we'll call Honesty Amnesty Day. Anybody ever watch soap operas? On purpose? Yeah. <laughs> A lot of times you'll see these, these people on soap operas and they get amnesia. And then they don't know who they are and then they start to try to tell them who they are and they don't remember. So then they forge a new identity. Convenient storyline, right? Movies, the, the Bourne, the Bourne movies. Oh, now people are nodding. You don't watch soap operas, but you watch the Bourne movies, huh? Jason Bourne didn't know who he was. So, so basically this fugue state is a real thing, and it's like a weird soap opera or, or movie storyline. Somebody wakes up or ends up in a town, and people ask them who they are, and they say, I don't know. It actually happens, and again, not as often as movies and soap operas would how make it seem. Well, it doesn't affect their verbal capability. It's their personality. That, that's actually the, the state that you're in is you forget your personality. Who you are, your name, how you acted. All the cognitive stuff is there, the physical stuff. It's really weird. It's not like having a stroke and being immobilized. And again, it's rare, but it happens. Let me give you an example. In 1985, and this is true life, this happened, 26-year-old Jody Roberts lived in Tacoma, Washington, working as a reporter for the Tacoma News Tribune. In May of that year, Roberts' friends and family started to notice some strange changes as she stopped taking care of herself and began to drink significantly more than usual. On May 20th, she mysteriously vanished and would not be seen by her loved ones for 12 years. Little did they know that five days after she disappeared, a disoriented Roberts was found wandering around in a mall in Aurora, Colorado, 1,100 miles away. She carried no identification but had a key to a Toyota, which was never found. She was admitted to a Denver hospital where doctors determined that she had entered a fugue state and developed amnesia. Unable to uncover her true identity, Roberts started a new life after leaving the hospital. She gave herself the name Jane D., got a job at a fast food restaurant, and enrolled at the University of Denver. After moving to the town of Sitka, Alaska, she enrolled, uh, she, Roberts married a commercial fisherman and had two sets of female twins while starting a new career as a web designer. In 1997, one of Jane D.'s Alaskan co-workers saw Jody Roberts' picture on a Seattle newscast and recognized her. Roberts eventually reunited with her old friends and family in Tacoma, but still had no memory of them. While it's theorized that severe stress might have brought on her fugue state, it remains unknown how Jody Roberts ended up in Colorado. Now that's nuts, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
That's crazy. Somebody who literally... Okay, here it comes. Are you ready? Doesn't know who they are. Doesn't happen much, we said. Or does it? Let's look at our text for today. Romans 8, 1 through 4. If you would, please stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. And I say it regularly and I'll continue to say it. Why do we stand? We stand out of respect for the Word of God. And we stand out of respect for the God of the Word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me pray. God, we stand here impressed by Your Word. I pray that Your Spirit would give us understanding, and that we would know the power that is ours to live it out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. All right, quick review. Where have we been? We're in the book of Romans, obviously. We've seen sin, the need for being right with God. We've seen justification by faith as the only means for being right with God. And now we're in point three of our outline, Blessings, the Results of Being Right with God. And we've started chapter 8, which is a high peak of Scripture. Through the process we have seen, and I'm shortening this, trying to get through it quicker. Asian Station, expiation, God takes the guilt of our sin away. Propitiation, God takes our sin and punishes Christ for it. So He becomes our propitiation and He is propitiated as His anger against our sin is vented. He actually punished Jesus for our sins. That's propitiation. Then what he did after he punished those sins, imputation is him giving us the very righteousness of Christ. That's what we sang about this morning a whole lot. He gave us what was rightfully Christ's. He gave Christ what was rightfully ours, our sin, punished him for it, and then looks at us and says, You are righteous. That's imputation. I give you the righteousness of Christ. Puts us in a state of justification. We have the right to stand before God. We are made clean, righteous. So justification is being made right with God. Sanctification is the process we begin in after we are born again to actually live out our faith and become more and more like Christ. Salvation, one of my favorite things to say in the message. For the foundation of the world we were saved. At one point in time we were saved. We are being saved and one day we will be fully saved. And this revolves around, and this is going to be so big today in what we talk about, our union with Christ. We have been crucified with Him. We will be raised with Him so that we might walk in newness of life now. I want you to hear those three words, union with Christ. As a born-again believer, as somebody who has put their trust, their faith, their hope in the finished work of Jesus for their salvation... There comes about a union with Christ. You're like, okay, I promise. You'll see more of that today. 
How does it come to be in our lives? Know, believe, reckon, do. Knowing it, believing it, reckoning it, reckoning it, which is a financial word. It's like writing it into your checkbook. Somebody deposited endless funds into your checkbook. You write in your checkbook endless funds. Never have to worry about it again. And then you start writing checks. Reckoning is saying, God did this, and I'm going to put it to my account, and then you begin to do it. Know it, believe it, reckon it, then do it. We can skip that one. We don't need that one. Last week, we looked at this wonderful phrase, Therefore now, no condemnation. And I'm still kind of on a hangover from that. And that's good news. Since we are serving the law of God with our mind, since we are serving the law of sin with our flesh, therefore, now, no condemnation. Which brings us to this week's focus, this week's phrase that we're going to look at. And what we're going to do today is just finish out uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. And we're not going to get past that. And it is the Greek phrase, in Christos Iesus. That's an I, not an L, by the way. I-E-S-O-U-S. That is the Greek translation of in Christ Jesus. Therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Something we said last week and something we'll say again near the end of this message is there are two groups of people in the world. There are those who are in Christ, and there are those who are outside of Christ. For those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. For those who are outside of Christ, the wrath of God remains upon them, abides upon them, and will until the end of time when God judges them and pours His wrath out upon them in hell forever. So if you're not in Christ, the wrath of God remains upon you and will for eternity But if you are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. So that's our focus today. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Now as we begin this thought pattern, I want to ask you a question. What do you think of when you hear the phrase, in Christ Jesus? To get a little more specific, what does it mean or what do you think of when we read Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To me, it's a really weird sounding phrase. In Christ. Those who are in Christ Jesus. It makes me think that there are people. People who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me, let me say that again. There are people, people, mind you, in Christ Jesus. Does that sound weird? I believe we've, we've got so church-speaky with it, it doesn't hit us anymore. What if we started saying that about other people? I mean, it gets real, real weird real quick, right? Yeah. What do you think about in Christ Jesus? How do you feel about it? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, for sure, the thought, the theme, is dominant in the New Testament. 
especially in Paul's writings. Paul uses the phrase, in Christ Jesus, or a variant of it, something like, in the Beloved, in Him, 160 times. That's a lot. So if Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, I do not attribute Hebrews to him because he doesn't identify himself, so I don't know if he wrote it or not. doesn't matter to me. If Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, a little math shows us that 160, that's how many times you use the phrase in Christ, divided by 13 is over 12 times per book average, or letter actually. So in these letters that Paul wrote to individuals and to churches, a steady drumbeat was heard from Caesarea to Rome. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. So this is a pretty big deal. This is a big, monster New Testament theme. And if we're going to understand what it means to be a New Testament Christian, a believer of Jesus Christ who does trust in the Old and the New Testaments, by the way. When I say New Testament, that's not to the exclusion of of the Old Testament. If I'm going to understand the New Testament, if I'm going to live out the New Testament, I have to understand what it means to be in Christ. Let me give you a quick sampling of some of these references that Paul uses. Don't worry about turning to these. Just listen. These are Paul's writings where he uses the phrase in Christ Jesus or in Christ. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. We, though many, are one body in Christ. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers, in Christ Jesus. Now that's just out of the book of Romans. The rest of Paul's letters are peppered with the same thought, the same phrase, over and over again. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And yet, after hearing it over and over for years and years, I'm 42 years old, been in church all my life, I still find myself reaching to understand what it means. As a believer, as a disciple of Jesus, I am in Christ. What does it mean? What are the ramifications of what it means? First, what does it mean? Well, I'm sure it can mean several different things. It's surely an indicator of our union with Him that we talked about earlier. It's an indicator of our oneness with Him. There are two passages in Romans we've looked at already that speak of this union. First, there's Romans 6, 3 through 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. What's the phrase? In Christ Jesus. Now that's a mouthful and we're not going to cover it real deep. As a quick recap, we talked about how our being baptized into Christ means that we were immersed into Christ. That's not talking about our water baptism there. It means we're immersed, literally dropped down into Him so that we were covered with Him. Now, you need to hear what I just said. We were literally immersed into Christ, literally dropped down into Him so that we were covered with Him. We were united with Him in a death like His, and we will be raised with Him in a resurrection like His. We died with Him so we might live with Him. Dead to sin, alive to God, and here's our phrase, in Christ Jesus. And then, if you'll remember back at the beginning of Romans 7, Romans 7, 4 said, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to Him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now that word belong, so that we may belong to another, is actually translated as be joined to, so that you may be joined to another. Here we see that when we died to the law, we were joined to Christ. Going back to the message from that passage, this is where we saw our need to be united with Him if we are to bear fruit for God. So from these two passages that we just looked at, the Romans 6 passage the Romans 7 passage, stay with me, we're building a case, we're building an argument here. And from our verse fragment today, which is those who are in Christ Jesus, we see that being in Christ is a sharing of life. Being declared to be free from condemnation is a glorious legal statement a clear sign that we have been judiciously justified. The judge said, not guilty. But to be said to be in Christ is not a judicial proclamation. It's a proclamation that says that we share Christ's life. One commentator put it like this. But this is no mere legal arrangement. It is a union in life. Believers, through the indwelling of Christ's Spirit in them, having one life with Him, as truly as the head and the members of the same body have one life. So if I am in Christ, I share the life of Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. So to be clear, to be in Christ means at least to share life with Jesus. Now wait a minute, where is Jesus? I believe He ascended into heaven and that He's coming again to judge the living and the dead, right? So Jesus is in heaven, seated on the throne, King of kings, Lord of lords, and now in Him I share His life. That can is bigger on the inside than it looks on the outside. It's a never end. You're like, I'm just still pouring stuff out of this. Look at this. This, this thing is, this is, it just keeps coming. Is Jesus Christ dead? Does he have a life? 
Is it eternal life? Abundant life? Overwhelming life? Overcoming life? Listen, church. You share that life with Him. In Him, you have the very life of Christ. And we could close our Bibles and walk out the door today and never be the same if we really grasp that. But we're not done. So to be clear, in Christ means at least to share life with Christ. In Christ we have the life of Christ, the power to live like Christ. We are one with Him, joined to Him, we died with Him, we will be raised with Him, we're united with Him, we're baptized into, immersed in Him. Let that sink in and meditate on that throughout the week. I am in Christ and I share Christ's life as a believer. I'm talking to believers. If you're not a believer here today, I'm not talking to you. It's available. We'll get to that. I promise we will. Don't be hopeless. So, we have Christ's life available to us, one with our own lives. That gives us power to overcome sin. And that's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see that as a Christian, as I, as I am in Christ, I have power to live. And that power is the very life of Christ Himself. Let me ask you this question. Did Jesus Christ ever sin? No. Spotless, sinless Son of God. Was He tempted in every way that we are? Yes, He was. Did He ever sin? So should we ever sin? Trick question. We'll get there. So we have Christ's life available to us, one with our own lives. That gives us power to overcome sin. Walk righteously, be obedient to God's commands, and call on our lives. So we can walk in the life of Christ. We can. It's available as Christians. But we've gone to great lengths to show that even in our best state, even someone like the Apostle Paul, we are, he was, we still are wretched men, right? Oh, wretched man that I am. We're still wrestling with sin, which dwells where? In our flesh. So are we in our flesh or are we in Christ? And yes is the correct answer. Jolly good show, mates. As a born-again believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ, I live in a body that is yet to be redeemed. You say, well, am I not redeemed? You are redeemed. But we await the adoption of sons, which will be the redemption of our bodies in full. And I, like Paul, see myself as a wretched man, tortured and tormented by the sin that lives in my flesh. Now the more important question is, how does God see me in the midst of all of this? We saw clearly and joyfully last week that there is now, now, no condemnation. But why? Because, listen, we are in God's sight. I'm, you see me rocking? When I'm rocking, it's coming. Just get ready. Why is there now no condemnation? Because we are in God's sight. Listen, in Christ Jesus. <laughs> we are in God's sight in Christ Jesus. Let me set the table for this. I want to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is so big. For consider your calling, brothers. 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now look at this verse. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In verse 30, let me go back to verse 30. It says, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of who? Verse 29 said, So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then verse 30 says, and because of Him. So because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, as we are in Him, becomes to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So by God's doing, we are in Christ Jesus. And since we are, we have Christ's wisdom, Christ's righteousness, Christ's sanctification, and Christ's redemption. All being said, God sees us as we are in Christ. The Father, please listen to this church, the Father literally sees us as placed in Christ Himself. Therefore, therefore, He sees us as He sees Christ. wretched man that I am? God sees when He looks at me the righteousness of Christ. God sees me through Christ because I am in Christ. The Father literally sees us as placed in Christ Himself. Therefore, He sees us as He sees Christ. And how does He see Christ? He's trying real hard to be a good guy. Jesus, you're doing better today than you did yesterday. Proud of you, son. Let me get a direct quote from the Father Himself. Now listen, I just said, let me ask God how He sees Christ. And I can do that because the Bible tells me how God sees Christ. I can open a book and hear what God said. (sighs) The Bible. First, two passages I want to look at in Matthew. Two times God says how He feels about Jesus. This is at His baptism, Matthew 3.17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So at Jesus' baptism, the Father looks down and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Then, you heard of the Mount of Transfiguration? It's a lot of words and what it means is, Jesus went up on a mountain one day and He took Peter, James, and John with Him and as they were standing there, He kind of came up a little bit and his, his appearance changed and He turned dazzlingly white. They couldn't hardly look at Him, brighter than the noonday sun. And Jesus changed. And what happened was, while Jesus was speaking to him, this is what's going on here, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. 
Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's the same thing he said at his baptism. And he says, listen to him. Which is a call for us sometimes to just shut up. you got two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you talk. You say, whatever, preacher. You talk all the time. No. You don't know how much I listen. So you got two passages, his baptism and this Mount of Transfiguration, where God the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So how does the Father see the Son? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's how the Father sees the Son. And I just said before that, that the Father sees us as sees Christ. So how does the Father see us? Whoa, wait, wait, wait a second. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Listen to this. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father... Are you ready? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Look at this verse. (laughs) He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord God, help us to understand this. I think it's very easy for us to sit and say, yes, God is pleased with the Son. The Father is pleased with the Son. God is happy with Jesus. But man, if you look at verse 13 in Colossians 1 again, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And if you go back before that, it says, He has qualified you, Christian, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. How did He do that? By delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of His beloved Son with whom He is well pleased. Lord, God Almighty. (laughs) Paul prays that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him. Now let me ask you something. Which came first here, the knowledge or the acting? Let me go back up there. Verse 9 said, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with a lot of action and doing the right things. This is important. We haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. So which came first, the knowledge or the action? Knowledge. 
The knowledge came first. That's pretty important. If you're taking notes, and you should be, you want to write that down because we're going to get back to that. So Paul prays that the Colossians will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And then he says, giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Now hold on to your seats. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. By God's doing, we were transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And in the Son, in Christ, we have redemption, which is forgiveness for our sins. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. There is no condemnation because we are literally in Christ. God sees us and says, This is my beloved Son in whom, with whom I am well pleased. Yes, you, Christian. Yes, me. Wretched man that I am, me. Me who lives in a wad of flesh that is infested with sin. God sees redemption, perfection, beloved, saints of light, those who are of the kingdom of His beloved Son, and don't think for a minute that it's because God is turning a blind eye to or is winking at our sin. Or is saying, it's okay, you got a little sin, it's fine. That's not what's going on. Remember from last week, He has both seen our sin and He has dealt with it. He punished His beloved Son for our sins. Jesus took our punishment on the cross and carried our sins away from us. That's propitiation. Expiation. Jesus took our punishment on the cross and carried our sins away from us. We died to sin when we died with Christ. So God knows our sins and He punished them fully and completely. So no, there's no blind eye, no winking at our sin. He knows them and He has taken care of them. Carried them away from us. Put them in Christ. Punished them with His full wrath. Put them in the grave. We believe He died, right? Then He raised Jesus up to life again. And when He was raised to new life, guess what was gone? Sins were gone. He carried them to the grave. Then He raised Jesus up to life again. New life, perfect, glorified life. And then when we were born again, He counted the punishment that Christ received as ours and considered us alive with Christ, in Christ, and now no longer sees our sin, but sees Christ as we live, as we abide, as we rejoice and abound in Him. Guys, that's the gospel. And that is unbelievable. You say, but I'm commanded to believe it. You better pray and ask God to open your eyes because that is unbelievable. You cannot fathom what I just talked about. You can't do it. And maybe you're sitting here saying, I don't, I don't get it. That ain't a big deal to me. I don't feel any different. It's too good to not be true. <laughs> it's too good. I couldn't make it up. What does it all mean? What we've seen today 
and there's so much more we could look at, is that being in Christ gives us power to live as we are one with Him, as we are in Him. As such, our being in Him empowers us to live obediently and free from the power of sin. So that's our power. But looking back at chapter 7, we know that we, while in Him, also live in a body that has sin living in its flesh. It's a weird paradox. In the sinless Christ and sin living in our flesh. And again, this is why we labored so hard to make sure that we agreed at least that I was speaking, teaching from the perspective that Paul was speaking of a believer in Romans 7, not an unbeliever who gets converted and then Romans 8 is true. Romans 7 is our experience, therefore there's now no condemnation. So, being in Christ gives us power to live. We live in Christ and we're in sinful flesh. J.I. Packer said it's like living in a house where one side is in shadows and dark all the time, while one side gets the full effect of the sun and its warmth. Wretched man that I am, that's the dark side of the house. And sometimes we linger in the dark side of the house, don't we? Wretched man that I am. But we have to remember that we didn't just get power to live by being in Christ. We also got a new position in the sight of God. In line with what we saw last week, there is now no condemnation for us. Now in the midst of our sin. Why? Because we are positionally in Christ. We got power and we got a new position in Christ. Our identity is no longer the sinner. Did you hear what I just said? Our identity is no longer the sinner. Do we still sin? You betcha. Man, I racked them up this morning. I'm not boasting in that. I'm ashamed of it. So we do still sin, but positionally, I'm not the sinner anymore. I am a sinner, but I'm not the sinner. I don't call myself sinner, 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 sinner. I call myself saint because I'm in Christ. In the midst of my sin, I am in Christ positionally. Our identity is no longer the sinner. Listen, church, our identity is the Christ. God sees Christ when He looks at us. We need to see that. We need to savor that. We need to rejoice in that and let it pummel our sinful self. What's more important, how you see yourself or how God sees you? On the final judgment day, I promise it's much more important how God sees you. But right now, it's much more important how God sees you as well. Identity. When we sin, we hear the accusation of the enemy saying, you sinned, you're a failure. And what do we say? Yes, I did. And I am not condemned because I am in Christ. Because what happens is when we sin, we fall into despair. Oh, man, there's something wrong with me. I'm just... Man, I, I just keep doing the same things over and over again. I know I shouldn't, but man, I want them. Man, that, it's, it's chapter 7. The very thing that I want to do is the thing that I'm not doing. The thing I don't want to do is the very thing that I'm doing. So then I see that it's no longer I, who, but, but it's sin that lives in me that's doing these things. You see why that's so important? It's no longer I who do them. 
The true eye is who? The true eye is in Christ. It's no longer I in Christ who do them, but sin that dwells in me that is doing. Listen, that is huge. That is monstrous. When you sin to realize, this is not who I am, truthfully. There's sin living in my flesh that I've bent the knee to, yes, but it's deceived me and it's caused me to walk in the law of sin. But positionally, I am in Christ. So when the enemy comes and he accuses and he says, you're a failure, you couldn't be a Christian, you say, stop! I am in Christ. And yes, I sinned. And yes, I will confess that sin to my God, to my Father, to my Lord. And He will look on me and He will say, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Because I am in Christ. Let me tell you what, one of the most damnable heresies I hear is that Christians don't sin once they're born again. And you know why it's damnable? Because it's of the enemy, because then the enemy makes you start to think, well, maybe I'm not even saved at all. Because we don't see our position in Christ. The accuser says, you sinned, you're a failure. We say, yes, I did, and I'm not condemned. I am in Christ. And knowing that position, I also have power to live differently. And it's not about trying harder or doing better in our efforts. It's about knowing, believing, reckoning, and doing. I know that I am in Christ. I believe it. I reckon it to my account afresh and anew. And please know it never changed. We just lost sight of it. And then I do differently. But I can't do differently if I don't see my position in Christ and the power that comes from being in Christ. Our position and our power. And I really believe it comes down to an identity issue. We kind of walk around in a few type state, don't we? We show up in Colorado, 1,100 miles away, going, who the heck am I? You ever get on the other side of that sin? that you swore you'd never commit again? You're going, man, who am I? And you forget. I am the beloved Son of God the Father. I am in Christ. Let me tell you what, that's not the first thing I hear after I sin. How about you? The devil comes knocking on my door. Hey, new in town, are you? Actually, I've seen you here many times before, but... Who are you? Uh, I'm just a sinner. I'm just, just a jerk. I'm an idiot. I'm so stupid. And the enemy's going, yeah. Yeah. Yes, you are. And boy, we just, he sets the hook. And he just reels us in. We don't even fight it. Pulls us in the boat. Before long, he's cleaning us, filleting us, ripping us wide open. Because we forgot who we are. You failed. 
You're a jerk. Nope. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. I failed, yes. Agree with you there, sir. But I am in Christ. I don't have spiritual amnesia forgetting who I am. No, no, no. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus my Lord. And you hear the proclamation from the Word of God from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In the midst of your sin. You say, God's pleased with me when I sin? (laughs) He's not pleased with your sin. But I'll tell you what, Christian, He is pleased with you because you are in Christ. You say, that, that's not possible. It can't happen. Take it up with Him. I didn't say it. You're like, yeah, you did. I said what He said. I'm going to ask you a question, Christian. Do you know who you are? Or are you walking around in this fog out here going, I got a key to Toyota. I don't know who I am. What's your name? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to move to Alaska and start over again. That's not Christianity. You wake up in Colorado, you wake up on the other side of sin, and you breathe that first breath after you've done it, and you go, sin. God, I confess, listen to me, church, listen to me. When you sin... God, what I just did was sin. I confess that to you. And your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You are pleased with me because I am in Christ. Is that how you live, Christian? And you say, well, that's just, that, no, 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 no. I got to do better. <laughs> you are not going to do better until you know better. Amen. As those who have been born again to a living hope, as those who are in Christ, we need to know who we really are. I wholeheartedly believe that if we know who we are, we will act differently. Alistair Begg said it well when he said, It is your identity that forms the dynamic of your activity. That's good right there. It is your identity that forms the dynamic of your activity. See, if you don't know who you are, then you will fail. And then you'll try to do better by external actions, which is returning to the law. But we died to the law so that we might be joined to another, namely Christ, Jesus, who was raised again to a living hope. But if you don't know who you are when you fail, you'll bite your lip, you'll try harder, you'll do better, and you'll try to do it in your own power. And you know what will happen from there? You'll fail again. And you'll fail again. And you'll fail again. I'm going to do better this time. 
Oh. Wait a second. That's stupid. Oh. That's better. Once I realize that this is not the way that I'm going to succeed. This is the way I'm going to succeed. Right knowledge leads to right activity. When you know what your true identity is, then your activity will change. But if you see positionally that you are in Christ, and then you see that you have the power of Christ Jesus Himself because you are in Christ, well then all of a sudden, man, you start acting different. Your position and your power comes from being in Christ. So your identity is formed not by who you are and what you've done, but by who He is and what He has done. And what you will do from that point on can be from the power that He supplies to do what He would do in your situation. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with Him. Delight yourself in the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then you'll desire the things of God. What is your identity? Christian, you are in Christ. That's your identity. Stop walking around not knowing who you are in some kind of fugue state, walking into the same wall over and over and over and over again. I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to hit it harder this time. I'm going to get through it. No, you're not. Not in your own efforts, you're not. Know that you are in Christ. Believe that you are in Christ. Reckon to your account that you are in Christ Jesus. Then... And only then will your doing be based in Christ. Know, believe, reckon, do. You are in Christ. This is your identity by God's doing for God's glory. Familiar verse as we close. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You say, but has the old passed away? It has. Sin still lives in your flesh, but you have died to the power of sin. But you can't walk in that unless you realize that you are in Christ. That could literally... The the rendering out of the Greek is literally, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. And what that means is everything's different now when I'm in Christ. Everything. All of creation is different because I am in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in that new creation, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. New creation. No condemnation. In Christ. And that is who we are as Christians. Know it, believe it, reckon it, and do it in Christ. Now I promised 
I'd say something about if you're not in Christ. That's all this means. Well, again, if you're not in Christ, this means nothing. Nothing. A bunch of foolishness, a bunch of gibberish, some crazy bald guy walking into a wall is talking about. And it means nothing to you. But I would say this, if you don't know the truth of this, if this isn't true in your life, Scripture says you're a sinner and you're lost and you are bound for eternal judgment. You say, well, you're just trying to scare me. No. I'm speaking the truth in love to you. You're lost. The good news is you can be found. How do you get found? You confess that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner. I've known sin from the time I was conceived. And in that sinful state, you confess that you need a Savior. You come to God and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need my sins forgiven. How are your sins forgiven? We've talked about it all morning long. Through Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh who came and was born of a woman, very man of very man, but he was also God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, never sinned, and then went to a cross. You hear the word cross so much in church, you're like, it doesn't mean anything. What it means was his hands were nailed to a beam of wood, his feet were nailed to a beam of wood, and they poured punishment out upon him for what? For your sins. God punished Jesus for your sins. And you come to God and say, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. And I believe that you will forgive me because of what Jesus did. He died, He was buried, He was resurrected. Now He sits in heaven offering forgiveness of sins to those who would come. God, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is that Savior. Will you save me? And God breathes life. And you believe. And you're transformed. And all of your sins are forgiven. And listen, you are placed in Christ. Free from all condemnation. And it does sound too good to be true. But it's not. It's the truth. The very truth of God. So God stands today and He says, No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Positionally and powerfully in Christ for those who believe and who have trusted in the finished work of Jesus for their salvation. Where are you this morning? Outside of Christ or in Christ? Let's pray. God, there are no words, even though we've spent an hour full of words trying to describe what it means to be in Christ. By your doing, we are in Christ. And I thank you for your doing, God. And I pray that I would put down my deadly doings, trying to achieve my own salvation, trying to achieve my own sanctification, trying to do better, and that I would trust in the finished work of Jesus who did everything perfectly so that I might walk in newness of life, so that I might be in Christ. For those who are in Christ, God, would you open our eyes and our hearts to see this truth, that we would see that we are positionally in Christ, and from that position, having that knowledge, we can walk in the power of Christ in newness of life. And for those who don't know, 
God, Holy Spirit, would you convict them of their sin, show them their need of a Savior, and let them see Jesus Christ as that Savior. May they put their faith and their hope in Him, and may they be placed in Christ, God. God, I pray that we would meditate on these truths and that right knowledge would bring about right action in our lives. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction this morning? Benediction means good word. We want to leave you with a good word. Proclaim the promises of God over your life so that you might enjoy them, so that you might walk in them in newness of life. Words are powerful. So church, I speak this good word over you as we leave. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you all.